0: Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Hailing Frequencies Opened. I'm your host, David, and I am joined again by my fabulous co-host, Carrie. Hi. Hi. This week, we are talking about the episode from season one, The Devil in the Dark, written by Gene L. Kuhn and directed by Joseph Pevney. Uh, This was originally aired March 9th, 1967. Quick housekeeping note. For people not showing up in this episode, this there is no Sulu or Uhura in this episode. Sulu's more understandable because the ship's not really doing a whole lot of flying in this episode. Uhura probably could have helped since we have established she's the smartest person on the bridge. He opens in a mining shaft or some sort with a man. He hears a weird noise and a whole bunch of other people come walking around and they're, they're like, Sam, you all right? you see anything? And he's like, well, no. There's been a brief conversation about there's something that's been killing people there. Uh, they make mention that the Enterprise is on its way and that it'll be there soon. One of the people who's apparently going on watch now is very nervous and hopes that the Enterprise can get there within the next four hours. It can't. The, that gentleman's name is Schmitter, apparently. Uh, everyone leaves, and he stands there, and then all of a sudden, you hear a sound that sounds like rock scraping on rock. And this dude turns around, looks panicked, and then screams, and everyone else wasn't that far away. They all come running back. He's been burnt to a crisp. Tasty. I like my people burnt to a crisp, in a teriyaki style, but that's just me. Then we cut to the Enterprise. There you get a bit more information. They're on their way to Genesis 6. It's a Pergeum mining colony. There's an unknown creature that has killed 50 miners and engineers, and it's destroying equipment. In all of their brilliance, the entire senior staff, except for Scotty, all being down to the planet at the same time, for reasons that I don't understand. At this point, Kirk has a conversation with the head of the mining colony named Chief Engineer Vandenberg. They have this very great back and forth where Vandenberg is very mad that his people are dying, Uh, nobody's willing to go down into the into the deep shafts, Um, it's getting closer to land where people are dying And it's becoming a problem for everyone involved. Kirk is very on board with the whole, well, let's murder it. Like, from the jump, he's like, I want to kill it. Spark makes note that there is a very pretty purple inflatable beach ball on Vandenberg's desk. He just makes a comment that it's pure silicone. Great. So it is a purple beach volleyball. Great. I'm very excited that we've established this. I hope that's what they do later. He thinks it's a weird oddity. Vandenberg doesn't seem to care one way or the other. Kirk doesn't really seem to think about it all that much either. As they're talking, we cut to a man in an area which they needed to make sure there was a sign painted. Uh, And the sign reads, Nuclear Reactor. The man in the orange jumpsuit is murdered because we hear him scream. At this point, Everyone, there's more conversation between Vandenberg and Kirk about what's going on and people and if Starfleet wants this per diem, they've got it. you have to do something and, you know, it's something new so we must kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Spock only wants, is kind of not on board with the kill it, but, you know, he's okay. A little blinky light goes off, and they all go running down to find out what is happening. They find another man burnt to a crisp, along with a big hole in the nuclear reactor that's missing a piece. At this point, we find out that this is a very shoddy setup for a mining colony, because the thing they're using for their nuclear reactor is incredibly outdated, and there are no replacement parts. You all are idiots. All right, that covers about the first 10 minutes or so. Our, our death count is currently two on screen so far. Two. Yes. Yeah. Dose. Dose people. Mel, what were you, how yes. were you doing at this point?
1: Well, there was this group. I don't know what his name is because he was a He just made me yell, yay, I hate capitalism so much. You are. Only about your product. I don't even really think about the people. I think the people that were secondary and mainly cared about the product and making money off of it. Which I know that I I texted you guys and said I figured out what's going on through the episode. But actually, put together during this opening, it just was confirmed for me in my mind halfway through. When they were, when Spock was looking at this, uh, ball, this ball, I thought to myself, okay, this guy has already said they didn't start experiencing these deaths or this cold, cold monster until they drilled down to the, and now they found all these little balls. Well, hmm, could it be? There's an indigenous creature on this planet and these little balls are its eggs. I mean, did anybody check this world for the indigenous population or did they just see money and start digging? They've hit where the the indigenous lives and they're fighting back, kind of like the Gorn did a few of them. You would think this ship, mainly Kirk, would remember that encounter and not just kill things, but he also capitalized about other planets, and planets that need this material. So let's kill the Yeah, that's where I was. And I don't know if you can tell, but it's
0: pissed me off. I mean... I totally get it. Like, having watched this episode before, I rewatched it yesterday. There's a lot of that. There's a, it, this episode reeks of this. It's very interesting to me to see where Starfleet is at this time period versus, like, what is it? A hundred years later with Next Gen. Because it's a huge difference. Because at this point, it's almost in- like, because in next NextGen, they talk about how they don't have money. Like, they don't, like, it's not about money. In this time period, it seems like money is still a thing. They don't ever mention it, like, per se, but it, it's implied that, like, that's, like, people aren't working in this mining facility for the betterment of everybody. There, it seems like they're working in this mining facility to get paid. So, I mean, it's a very interesting thing for me to look at, well, this is where Starfleet was. And then even in the hundred years from here to here, look at all the changes they made just in that time period. But I totally see what you're saying. Like, there's a blatant disregard for people. Uh, There's a blatant disregard for other creatures. Like, it's a whole, it's a real problem. Carrie, did you have anything you wanted to add right at this point?
2: Yeah, guy's pretty much covered it all. I mean, the um, colony manager there was way more interested in profit than it seems his own people. I'm sure he was concerned, but I don't think he was concerned enough because he's like, we got to get this, you know, shipment, got to dig deeper and get more of this mineral and, you know, ship it off to Starfleet and all the other people that they need to ship it off to and I agree that they are pretty stupid for having a reactor that has parts you cannot find anymore it's like what's up with that it's like you're theoretically making enough money you can replace this thing with something new and replaceable parts but no 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 (laughs) let's not do that let's still live on the cheap and be greedy and just keep digging and to hell with whatever the hell is down there. We'll figure out how to kill it. That was stupid. However.
0: That's capitalism.
2: It That is capitalism. However, uh, when I watched this episode last night, I remember seeing it in the past and thinking it was pretty stupid. But then when I rewatched it last night, I was like, you know what? This isn't too bad. I can see why it's considered a classic episode. And then it's read more things on like IMDb about it and behind the scenes things. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's funny. Creature costume and everything. Apparently the person who created the costume wore it and walked into the writer's office. And was like, look what I made. I'm like, cool. What's it for? She's like, I don't know. (laughs) And then he's like, four days later, he wrote an episode about it.
0: Oh, I have all kinds of thoughts about that outfit. Oh, me too. But
2: was there uh, a person inside it
0: (laughs) moving? Yes.
2: There was? Okay, good.
0: So, one other thing I do want to point out people disrespecting Kirk is all over this early part of the episode. Uh, Chief Engineer Vandenberg doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) Mr. Pell, who is uh, the man in purple in the room, also doesn't give a fuck it doesn't matter what your rank is he they both are just like basically they're just fuck you and you have to do this and it's like "Mm, do they though so at this point kirk calls up and we hear from scott who's now in charge of the ship he asks scott to jury rig a substitute he says well that's easier said than done and i can't like i can barely fix it and it won't last very long he goes, all right, we'll beam down immediately. So at this point, since Sulu and Uhura were not seen on the bridge when they showed it, and Scott's now down here, a random lieutenant is now in charge of the Enterprise. Or it's a yeoman, because there are no senior officers left, because they left.
2: tidbit about this episode, there was only an appearance from one female, but she didn't have any lines, and you only saw her for like a split second. This cast was all men. There were no women in this episode. So no yeoman is in charge. It's some random dude.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we don't see the Enterprise after Scott comes down until the very end of the episode. So for right. all we know, it could be. I,
2: but... That's what I hope. <laughs> in, my, in my heart of hearts, I'm like, no, it's Ahura. She's in charge. And she should run. Just leave the fools down there and go.
1: She should have done mm-hmm have <laughs> been like I'm in charge now, and we are leaving. We don't need these Well, they need Scotty. So beam Scotty, up, call yeah. Scotty, like Hey Scotty, yada yada yada, and then we we'll be and beam him up and get down there and take.
2: Because we all know the great job Scotty can do being in command. We've seen it.
0: I mean, you're absolutely right, and yeah, there's. It's just very interesting to me to watch Kirk beam down into these situations, and no one has any respect for his rank. And they outwardly disrespect him. It's very much different to Picard and Cisco, where on the rare occasions for Picard, and Cisco is more regular, but on the rare occasions for Picard that he actually was part of an away team or was on the planet's surface. Even if people didn't like him, there was still a level of respect granted to him based off of what his rank was. So it's very interesting to me to watch this where Kirk's rank means fuck all. So Scott's dealing with that. Kirk also says that he needs him to beam down 20 security personnel. Okay. What makes this fun is there is a meeting between him and 20 security personnel. The security personnel that they sent down, it's not 20, it's five. And I'm just like, that doesn't look like 20, and it's not close. So unless the other 15 of them are hiding in a different hallway, like, you could at least have them all standing there. Like, it cannot be that hard to find 20 bodies to stand there. But, you know, uh, he is also talking to... The head of the that group, I believe it's Lieutenant Headley or Leslie or whatever, but he's like, all right, what we're going to do is you're going to send your team down there and you're going to look at this stuff, and then the rest of you are going to go over here and you're going to look at this other stuff. So all the security people go, all right, and they leave. He does tell them all to stay together and always have their weapons out. Kirk then has a conversation with Spock about, because Spock has this weird, like, thoughtful look on his face. And essentially, he comes up with the hypothesis that this is a silicone-based life form. While I applaud Spock for his brilliant thought process, I am baffled at what evidence he had seen up to this point, other than the little purple ball, to support that. Like, he jumps to that really fast, which is different for him, because normally for him, he needs, like, three references and a doctor's note before he's like oh well this is what this is but in this case that's not what he needed he just needed a purple ball so you know that works too and i'm going to take this moment to also talk about the fact that while they're talking about this so mccoy is down there and mccoy pretty much just tells spock he's dumb he's like you're dumb there can't. Be. There's no such thing as a silicone-based life form. There can't be. Kirk's more open to it, but only just. He's just not as disrespectful about it. McCoy fucks off to wherever. Bach and Kirk continue talking. We then cut to a security guard who is doing the exact opposite thing that Kirk told him to do. He is not with a group of people. He hears a sound. He turns around. He gets attacked by whatever. The thing I would like to point out about this is so Kirk and Spock get there and McCoy, and McCoy says oh, he never had a chance to fire his weapon. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Because we watched it happen. He had a good minute, not a minute, but he had a good couple seconds, especially with him having it out. He turned and it had to come towards him. So I'm like, you could have shot it at any point in that time period, but you didn't. All you do is press the button. I would have maybe understood if he couldn't get it out of his pocket, but he had it out already. So I'm just like, nope, you're full of shit.
2: (laughs) He was a red shirt, so his fate was
0: sealed. That's fair, but he still was dumb because he wasn't doing what Kirk had specifically told him to do, which is travel in pairs, don't be alone. There's always one that goes
2: astray.
1: Again, it's Back to talking about people not coming down i missed the whole part about they're supposed to be them because i was just like oh look at all the pretty red shirts going to die. <laughs> that's all like that's all that registered me. i care that there weren't 20 it's the fact that they were all red shirts
0: well and we we also g- do get to announce now, now the on-screen death count is now three. We're, we're up to three now. This is quite a lot for a lot of these episodes. So at this point, Spock and Kirk encounter the creature. Now let me try and describe the creature as best as I can. Uh, the creature, as best as I can, as can describe to you, looks like peach cobbler that has come to life. Um, nope. it, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs>
2: I was thinking like little pockets of hamburger meat were like the spots. And then like, there's like, I don't know, like um, long yarn pieces at the, at the bottom that I guess are supposed to be like. I'm just
0: talking about what I saw at this point because I didn't see the little the edges at this point. Oh, it I did. And so to me, it looks like peach cobbler that's alive. You know, to it's me the, it like has got the crumble crust on the top, it's a whole thing.
1: <laughs> to me, it looked like a badly formed meatball. Oh, there you go. That still had sauce on top of it. Oh. <laughs> it, well, of it like to
0: me. I mean, you're not I don't think any of us are wrong. It's it's not <laughs> a great looking outfit, like for sure. Kirk and Spock shoot it. Uh, without delay. The creature then moves away, uh, and they're like, oh, we injured it. There's a piece that fell on the ground. And he walks over, and Spock picks it up and makes the line of the episode, and he goes, well, you know, it is silicone-based, and the best, the closest I can come up with is it's asbestos. I'm very excited about this, because now they all have cancer.
2: Um, <laughs> asbestos monster!
0: <laughs> I mean... That's, that's what it is.
2: Hey, why not? <laughs> All the old asbestos that we had on Earth, we shot it up into space, and then it became sentient. S-
0: sentient asbestos? Yeah, <laughs> no one needs that. So at this point, we've met the creature. Spock and Kirk are still going back and forth. Kirk wants to kill it. Spock is more wanting to save it. Spock did press Kirk on that a little bit because he did tell, try and tell the security teams Oh, try and take it alive. And Kirk's like, uh, no. We're gonna shoot it. So something that I will pin on this episode. He wants
1: to shoot it because he learns nothing. He's learned nothing in his experience as a starship. Absolutely
0: nothing. Um, Something else I want to point out in this episode is there's too much humor in this episode or attempts at it because I really feel this episode tr- is trying really hard to tell like a more serious story, especially for the time period. The humor doesn't hit. I actually think it takes away from it. So Kirk and Spock have this back and forth, and Spock basically uses it because Kirk wants him to help Scotty keep the reactor running. Spock is like, there's no way. Kirk makes an argument about oh, well, either of us are expendable, but both of us aren't. And Spock, of course, knows what the percentage is that they would both die doing this. And then it gets very humorous for no reason. To me, it takes away from this episode.
1: I clearly
0: missed the humor. That's what I mean. Is Because there's a definite change in, like, the music where you get, like, the the lighter, Ooh, doo, 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 you know, where it just changed from, like, the very dramatic to, like, oh, it's that light, fluffy music from the more fun episodes. And it's just like, I don't need that here. And I think it's something they learned doing this series, going over to like Next Gen, is like Next Gen, when it was a very serious or they're trying to tell a very specific type of story, they wouldn't try and mix it as much. Where it's like, "Mm, no, we're just going to let it go. Like, this is going to have, I'm going to have to look this up. There's an episode where Carrie, what is the name of the episode where Picard gets his brain gets invaded by the alien probe and he lives a lifetime on the planet that's dying and he has like a wife and a kid and
2: Oh that one is um I know what you're talking about. That's um hang on a second. To... I have it somewhere.
0: Anyway, while we're looking that up. Mel, at this point, were you still into this story or were you kind of starting to lose interest? I was after
1: the first 10 minutes. I was mad. I was, just, I was mad. It, to me, this was, I don't know if the writers were trying to make a comment about capitalism and colonialism or if they were just like, this is a good story. But I it was already in my mind, like, this is what's going on they can be from this planet. So I I w- I had given up. I was trying to think about was mad and it just kept me mad. Especially every time the mining colony came on and said something it' just made it worse.
0: I mean that's that's fair. There's it's definitely I didn't see anything that said that that's what they were trying to do with this episode. But I definitely took that away from this episode. The same thing you were talking about, like I definitely took away, it's, it's definitely a, the shortfalls of capitalism and putting profit over people. And it's a whole, like, I totally agree. Um, Before
2: we go further, the answer to your question is The Inner Light. That's it. Season five.
0: The reason that episode works so well is there is humor in that episode as Picard is living his life, but it's a natural humor. Like it doesn't, it's not forced. It's not, it's just, oh, he's just living his life for all he knows. And he's just interacting with people. There's no forced anything. But the overall content of that episode is very heavy. It's a lot. It's one of the best Next Generation episodes, in my opinion, that exists. And for me, that's where this episode fails, because I feel like this episode is trying to have be a very serious episode about stuff, but they're trying to shoehorn a bunch of humor into it, and the humor just doesn't work. It's not a natural setup. It's not anything like that. It's just kind of like, okay, you have to be funny now. It's like, mm, it doesn't work that way. No, because uh, a lot of like have...
2: serious bits coming up with Spock and the um,
0: monster in question. But they even try and fiddle with humor after that. And they, they do. They do. They're trying to have their cake and eat it, too, and for me, it ruins part of the episode. Ruined probably my ranking for the end, of, if you all listen that far. But, you know, this is kind of where I'm at at this point. It's just, it just doesn't work for me. Carrie, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to make on the uh, living peach cobbler?
2: <laughs> oh... Wow. Um, I just want to know how long that thing took to make.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's... It's It's a thing. So, the horda is played by a stuntman and acrobat named Johannes Proasca, who also designed the costume. He was promised that if he created something good enough, the producers would rent the costume and pay him to play the part. The writer, Gene Kuhn, was convinced of the costume's effectiveness after an impromptu demonstration by Mr. Proska in his studio, so there's that.
2: Okay, so he was one of those like live artist people. I mean, I've seen people do this kind of stuff where they get into like a spandex sack or something, and
0: He's a Cirque you know, du Soleil. Guy.
2: Yeah, like Cirque du Soleil movement yeah. things, and
0: and like, I mean back then there wasn't. It's not like now where you've got like a thing like Cirque du Soleil, and you've got like a bunch of other things that you can use those talents in. Back in the 60s, you didn't have those opportunities, so it was just kind of like... "Mm -hmm." Anyway, at this point, the creatures left. There's a new hole being dug. Mark suspects that there has to be more than one creature because there's so many tunnels built underneath the mining colony that there's no way possible that one creature could have created them all. They also change the scanners so that they're scanning for silicone life forms. They only get one. Kirk calls bullshit. <laughs> he and Spock have another about have another great conversation about whether or not the creature should live or die.
1: Spock has the saint.
0: Yeah, he does. However, it just makes-
1: bitch slacker. by this point. She just hit him.
0: However, I will say that this makes what happens later in this episode make no goddamn sense. So Kirk leaves in Spock Separate and Kirk finds a chamber that just has, he uses the word thousands. I would say there's about 50 in the room um, of these little purple beach ball nozzle nodules. There's a rock slide in the room that he narrowly avoids while talking to Spock. Uh, Spock then comes running towards him theoretically because you don't really see what Spock's doing. Kirk tells him he's fine. The creature then comes out of a wall in an effect that, even redone digitally for now, looks terrible. It's the 60s. They did what they could. The creature doesn't necessarily attack him uh, while he's aiming at him. It does show him its back, though, and they do have this little bit on the back of the creature that I really wish they'd done a little better job on the makeup, but it is designed to look like an injury. I feel like they could have done more to really sell that, but it is what it is. Yes, Miller?
1: this part? Go back to when they shot the thing.
0: So, we're talking about when they all realized they were going to get cancer, okay?
1: Yes. Did this? Did I completely go out? Because they pick it up. Yeah. They pick up the scale. Yeah, like, yeah this is, pick- is cool. Let's make a hat. Okay. Sorry. They touched it. I- my, my see, see Touched I'm it. so Touched upset it. that my brain has shorted out.
0: Well, and that's why I said because when Spock's like, "Well, the best I can figure is this is like asbestos," and as soon as he says that, I'm just like, "Oh, good, you broke asbestos apart. You've breathed it all in. You're all getting cancer."
1: You know who wasn't in the room when that happened? You know who McCoy. wasn't there? Koy, the one person who needs to breathe deep,
0: not there. Well. On the plus side, McCoy will be able to save them all from cancer, so we, they've got that going for them.
1: They wouldn't, because he's a.
0: Well, there are other save doctors. Save them don't. all from
1: cancer. He can't even save them all from a rash. Cancer.
0: Jesus. That's okay. They have Nurse Chapel. She'll save them.
1: But, yeah, her and her. And if she's not even a doctor.
0: Right. So, as we're in the Cave where all the nodules are. The creature in front of Kirk and it's shuffling back and forth. Kirk aims a thing and uh, aims the phaser at him, not really gonna shoot him. Spark comes in and this is the part where this episode lost all credibility for me. Spark and Kirk switch paradigms, where Spark is demanding that Kirk kill it, very passionately, and Kirk's like, "No, I don't think we should." Why is this happening? I think... <laughs> now this is fairly
2: hypothetical. I think now that Kirk thinks that because when he was pointing his phaser at the creature, it backed away, which got, actually made him start thinking, like, oh, wait, maybe it's intelligent. Maybe I shouldn't. But then when he would lower his phaser, it would come, come at him again, and then he'd be like, oh, nope, wait. Don't move.
0: (laughs) Okay. I can go with you on that. I can't go with you for why Spock switched sides.
2: I can't either.
0: Because Because at the
2: the beginning of this episode, he was seen very, you know, forthright with his decision. Like, no, we should study it to understand it, not kill it. And now he's changed his mind because there's been more deaths or...
0: He also comes across as afraid.
2: Ooh, and that's not very Vulcan.
0: No, but he definitely, to me at least, in this sequence, he plays it like he's afraid, which doesn't make any sense at all.
2: No, because he hasn't attempted to communicate with the creature yet via mind meld.
0: Not yet, but it's a very baffling...
2: It is, because then I would understand his fear... Because if he had already done like a mind meld with the creature, maybe there's like a residual effect where he can feel their feelings and he can project them. Right. That'll buy.
0: Right, for sure. It's just at this point, it doesn't make sense. There's no logical reason for the switch. There's no reason for him to be playing it as if he's afraid of it because their one interaction with it, didn't, shouldn't have given either of them a reason to be afraid of it because they shot it and it ran away, for lack of a better term. Right. So this change is just weird for me. And also what's weird is just how long Spock goes on with why Kirk needs to shoot. It's just like, just stop. Like, it, you don't know. Yeah, um, we don't need
2: that anymore. <laughs> it's like Kirk is making a decision and he, I guess, is trying to... Understand why this creature has all of a sudden decided to kill since I guess they've been mining here for like
0: 50 years.
2: 50, yeah, 50 years. And they're just now discovering this creature.
0: I mean, as Milt said, you had to get down to level 26 or whatever it was before anything started happening. So they had to mine pretty far. Kirk and Spock then have a separate conversation about it. And he goes, Oh, look, it's hurt. They then talk about a Vulcan mine mill. I don't think this is the first time we've seen a Vulcan mind meld on the show. It's not. It's an early one, and I think this is another one where this was shot out of order. Yeah. I think this was supposed to be the first time you saw that. It um, was. It, it was. It's not uh, how they talk about it, and how it's not called a Vulcan mind meld. They go on about some, oh, you bridging can, of minds or something. Minds and all this other stuff. Kirk notes that it can be emotionally, uh, like, uncomfortable for Vulcans to open themselves up that much. Uh, Nimoy gives a fine performance here uh, when he puts his hands on the creature, and then he just goes, I, like, he just screams it almost, and, like, I just feel pain, great pain. I'm not sure why you need some mind meld for that, because you can clearly see the injury on the creature, so you would already know that it is in great pain.
1: Because these fools shot it. These fools shot
2: it. Other pain is like more like the emotional pain, because once the miners dug down deep enough, they didn't realize that they were destroying like the little purple balls, which were the eggs of this creature, and
0: which we still don't know at this point, but yeah. yeah. No, uh, it's coming. The creature then, Spock lets go because it's just too much for him. The creature then basically carves into the rock no-kill eye, because apparently when you mind meld with someone, uh, they also learn English. But Spock could only really perceive pain, but that's about it.
2: No, he, he perceived more than that.
0: Not initially. They did it, yeah they find out that it was a Horta. He then mind melds with it again and goes deeper. Apparently the species dies out completely every 50,000 years except for one person. That stays alive, protects the eggs, which are the little purple uh, beach balls.
2: At this point, McCoy is down there trying to tend to the wound of this creature.
0: Good for him. I'm yes. glad. I'm, I'm hoping he'll be very successful, but I'm pretty certain it's going to be by luck.
2: And this um, is like the first time that we hear the classic line, "Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a insert whatever you want." <laughs> In this case, bricklayer.
0: So this particular adult Horta was the protected mother of the next generation. Although she's close to dying because of the wound, uh, the Horta tells Spock tells Spock the location of the stolen pump. Kirk discovers thousands of broken eggs, which were destroyed by the miners or worthless. At this point, I'm gonna bring up the miners and what they've been doing this whole time. Throughout all of this, Kirk and Spock have found out that like, you have to have a really powerful phaser to do anything to the horse. Well, the miners don't have any of those things. He also orders when the nuclear reactor fails, um, as many people to be evacuated to the enterprise as possible. Chief Engineer Vandenberg and his loyal associates, because they're stupid, go, well, we're going to help you. Well, you don't have phasers. Well, that's okay. We'll use clubs if we have to. To do what? It's a rock. To do what? It's going
2: to kill you. It will rear up and melt your face.
0: So they're running around with whatever they've got and it's a whole thing and I'm just not sure like again just the pure idioticness of everyone that's around anything. It just doesn't make sense to me. McCoy is still working on everything. At this point, the miners, this is why I brought them up, they all come pouring in and they want to kill the creature because they're dumb. Kirk and Spark manage to stop them, explaining to them in a very overly dramatic way, I would say, that it's only protecting its eggs when it killed people. McCoy, because he's a genius, successfully treats the Horta's wounds, using silicone-based cement normally used for building emergency shelters. The miners are afraid of a thousands of Horta, but with Spock mine melded to them, they reach an agreement that what the Hortas are going to do is the Hortas are going to dig tunnels for them since they can do it better than the miners. And then the miners can mine, and the hoarders can, and the hoarders can just fuck off and do whatever they're doing.
2: They can eat, 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 and create their little. It's a great idea because they can do the tunnels so much faster, and that's that's what they do—they eat rock.
0: And those fifty thousand, like, and they're going to be alive for fifty thousand years.
2: Yeah, and there's like thousands of eggs that are going to hatch
0: for sure. And so it's just this whole thing, and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy go back to the Enterprise. They prefer to leave orbit. They've then learned from Vandenberg, who has magically stopped being a dick, that the eggs have hatched, and already the hordes are tunneling it to their little heart's content, and they're getting all the valuable minerals they could possibly want. Everything works out in the end, and no one learns a lesson. And I I call bullshit. (laughs) Right?
1: (laughs) Oh, total oh bullshit!
0: I also call bullshit.
1: Why? Why? Of course, the horde is going to agree because she knows that if she doesn't she can kill her, mm-hmm. she was already dying. I will give McCoy props on this. He actually used the not-dry brain to come up with a solution and save it. But the creature thought it was dying. That was what it was expressing dying. It was going to sleep. It was dying. But if you're this is like Stockholm syndrome. You fall in love with your after being brainwashed. Well, the horror understands that the humans can wipe out not only her, but all of her children very easily. They've right. done it. they yeah. continue to do it. So why, would, why wouldn't why would she, yeah, we'll just do all the digging and they can take all the profits. The other thing that I probably discussed was I understand that the rock but contamination? What happened They contaminate all the rocks and the hoarders die of that? Um, that's unclear. Bullshit. I call it I, I give props to, Clay, but the rest of it didn't kiss my ass with that story. <laughs> she was not really given a choice. What would they have done, if they had, no, this is my planet. I want them here. What would they have done? What they should have done was taken the miners onto the ship and left and left the order to their planet. That's their planet. There's no making deals. This is, your, this is their planet. You need to leave. You, you came here, you didn't seek out the indigenous, the indigenous creatures, you didn't try to establish anything with them. Up until five minutes ago, you were trying to kill them. You clearly disregarded their existence for however long, and now you want them to make a deal with you so you can make more profits, and you're not even going to give them any of the profits. Kind of, see? Yeah. B.S. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We've reached the end of this episode. I'll just wrap up with what I have. my thoughts are on this at this point. Once Spock flipped from I want to save it to kill it right away, this episode lost all credibility because it just doesn't make sense. There's nothing in Spock's makeup before this. There's nothing post this that makes that sequence work. It's just a weird setup at that point because there just isn't the backup to make any of those decisions make it. Happen. Kirk is fine in this episode. He's his normal verbose. I'm a dickhead. I shoot anything that doesn't show me that it has any value. The hoarder costume and the hoarder for the time period. I give them credit for thinking outside of the box. It does look like a giant over like living peach cobbler to me, as I said earlier. But you know, it's just not the hoarder costume itself. Just doesn't hold up now but it's fine. Like I give them credit. They did practical. Great. It's different. Like again, I give them credit. It's definitely different. I think that this episode is like so many where they really were actually trying to like cover a very deep topic, whether it's capitalism can be bad. You know, it's just the whole thing. And I just don't feel like they went far enough And also I'm very tired of at the end of episodes, there's no comeuppance for anybody and nobody really learns anything. Again, it's something that I feel like Next Generation and future series, they actually learn stuff. Now they might learn it slowly, but they learn it. There's an episode of Next Generation where Picard actually falls in love with one of the crew members and has to send her down to a planet with a firestorm. And she's one of like two people that die And so, even though he didn't make any mistakes as far as what he did as captain, he still has to deal with the comeuppance of, I sent the person I love to die. Oops. She didn't die. Yes, she did.
2: No, she didn't. Are you talking about lessons? The episode lessons?
0: I thought she did die.
2: Nope. No, she survived. He thought she had perished because they lost communications Uh, because of the firestorms. Right. Uh, One person in her little crew party did die,
0: but but her her. and the other
2: one survived.
0: Was it because she left the ship then? Is that what was the problem?
2: She left, she decided to leave the ship because if she were to have a relationship with the captain, it would complicate things, and then she would always be second-guessing her decisions, and he would be second-guessing his decisions in regards to doing missions or sending her on missions, and then it just wouldn't work.
0: So, perfect, thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, but I think my original point still stands because he still has to deal with the fallout of this. Or at the inner light, like he deals with the fallout of, he experienced the whole lifetime of these people, watch people that he lived through life and death with, and it, now he has to deal with the fallout of that. After um, Best of Both Worlds, they constantly have him dealing with the fallout of he was turned into a board and there are, you know, complications from that. With this series, I feel like they want to tackle some of those heavy issues, but they don't know how. There's no outcome. It's at the end of every episode, it's like, all right, well, we just got to put a bow on this and move on with our day. And I think in some of these circumstances, that just doesn't work. Like you have to have some sort of, learning curve here and they just don't I will say that this episode is William Shatner's favorite because he really helped him when his dad died that's cool I really like that you know everybody deals with grief differently and it's very cool that this is what helped him through it as far as this episode for me goes for what it was trying to do I like if we were just rating it on what I can see it's trying to do it gets a 10 because it's trying to tell a very big, heavy story. However, with its execution, with comedy that doesn't need to be there and doesn't feel like it's naturally supposed to be, with weird story beats and with characters flipping motivation with no real reason as to why, it's a three, it's a three. And the performances just aren't there. Like, the acting isn't, besides Nimoy, who gives it his all the entire episode, there's just nothing else to hold on to. So for me, that just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me as an episode or anything like that. I can see what they're trying to do, but the execution just isn't there, and so it just falls apart. Carrie, we'll go to you first. What is your rating, and what were your thoughts?
2: actually enjoyed the episode such as it was i understand what they were trying to do subject matter wise and how hard that can be especially in 1967 and i know gene wanted to tackle a lot of like heavy issues with the original series but it just didn't always pan out for him so which is why when they studios agreed to do next gen he got to fix all that and he really got to explore all these issues that he's always wanted to tell and then you know and thus far with all the rest of the star trek series that we all know and love it's just a catalyst for issues that we should talk about and have an open conversation about and deal with as far as this episode with the horta I mean i would give it i'm gonna be generous and give it a five i can understand why it was a classic episode i can understand the issues that they were trying to portray but there were some spots where i was like you know some humor isn't always necessary in like trying to shove it into like every scene i thoroughly enjoy scotty i mean he wasn't there very long but when he was Scotty is like your he's your comedic point. So if anything like funny you want to do funny, just cut to Scotty. And then I think that would have worked better. Because Scotty comes up with a lot of like funny puns and stuff. And then, you know, sometimes the doctor does too with the whole, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a you know, plumber, not a electrician, you know, whatever. That became funny. That became a household line. So at least we get that out of this episode. But other than that, yeah, I, I liked it. I didn't think I would, because I've seen it before, and in the past, I was like, what's this shit? <laughs> and then I watched it again. I was like, oh, you know what? It's kind of funny and, and, and heavy. And it's a lot of things, but, you know, it, it was a ride.
0: It was definitely a ride. Thank you, Carrie.
2: You're yeah, welcome.
0: Uh, no. Other than you were pissed off at it 10 minutes in, do you have a rating for this episode and any other thoughts you would like to share with the group?
1: Um, I rated a three and it. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> a little, a little terrorist is the door where nobody is. Okay, so this episode pissed me off. It's like the came from the encounter. Thank you. Thank you, planet. Instead of trying to figure out what's going on, Spock should have spoken about his um, theory about the balls. McCoy needs to take out his butt and actually start thinking about what other people are saying instead of just missing it out of hand because he his brain is too small to. To think that something like that would happen. No way. There's no way a life form could be made out of silicone. There are people on the street now who would say there's no way that somebody could be on the planet and have green blood. Hello, McCoy. You grow with your surroundings and you take other people's theories or guesstimations into account and you move forward. I think they probably wouldn't have injured the creature if they had, if Splash had stopped up and they had taken his theory seriously. They could have come at it in a completely different way. It wouldn't have to cause it any pain and they could have probably got things figured out and finished and taken care of sooner. I also think as they thought, that they should have left the planet for the creature and the offspring and just, been gone. Yeah, this it makes me sad because I know I'm because they clearly don't learn and they could have learned from the Gorn. Even if it's taken out of, out of context, like if this should have aired for the episode, episode they should have learned the lesson from this. Either way the lessons are not being learned and their first instinct is to kill and that's not working
0: for me. It really seems like, Mel, you and I kind of were on the same wavelength with this episode. Carrie, you weren't that far off. You just seemed to enjoy it more. I did. And that's good. I mean, listen, this episode, if you want to look at it from what it is, it's not terrible. It's not.
2: It's No, it's not terrible. It's not, by today's standards, it's not a 10, but... For some people, it might.
0: As with everything, when we, this is just the three of us's opinion on this. Mm-hmm. That's fine if you disagree with us, the fact that you enjoyed it. It just, again, didn't work for the three of us. Probably because we all saw there's so much more to do here, and they just didn't do it.
2: And we may slightly overanalyze, but we're well, that's just to.
0: us. <laughs> We're supposed to. you know, We and, are.
2: Uh, I mean, this is a review show, so you know.
0: would <laughs> <Analyze.
1: laughs> yeah, Never over overanalyze.
0: I just be like, so I saw an episode of Star Trek. How was it? Mm. <laughs> so that's it for us today. Tune in next time when we are going to talk about Errands of Mercy. Yes. I'm very excited. We're in the final stretch of this first season. I think we've only got like four or five episodes left and then five episodes left and then we're done with season one. So until then, keep your hailing hailing frequencies open. My name is David with Carrie and Mel and we will see you next time.
1: Good night.
0: Bye.